Hello, and welcome to the Rugby Gods podcast. I'm John Keenan. No mai harimai. Today is April 22nd, and now let's talk some rugby. All right, so this is going to be a little bit of a different uh, podcast. Uh, I'm going to be looking at an article. Uh, I'm going to be hopefully, <coughs> excuse me, incorporating uh, these articles into my podcast over the next couple of months. Uh, please let me know uh, if you enjoy it, uh, and then you know perhaps I'll continue doing them uh, in the future. But certainly for the next couple of months, uh, I want to look maybe at an article every week, every couple of weeks, uh, and then basically you know just read through, narrate the article, uh, and give my opinions uh, on the article as well. So yeah, please let me know uh, if you think it's kind of interesting uh, and something different for the podcast, something good for the podcast. So where am I getting this article from or these articles from? Uh, well, usually um, I'm a pretty big user of stuff.co.nz, uh, which is uh, essentially a, a general news website uh, in New Zealand, uh, which has a pretty good sports section. Uh, and inside of that, it has a very good uh, rugby section called Rugby Heaven. Uh, but for this, or for the next couple of months, uh, I'm going to be trialing using uh, The15. So The15.rugby uh, is uh, the website that I'm using. So uh, I believe uh, it's premium content uh, and it's behind a firewall. Uh, so I hope I don't get into any trouble here, um, but I have been given um, a three-month uh, free subscription to it. Uh, and like I've just said, I'm going to just choose maybe like one or two articles or maybe just one article, you know, every couple of weeks uh, to look through, uh, and then basically, you know, give my opinions uh, around what I'm reading through. So uh, hopefully I'm not in breach uh, of any copyright there, uh, and, you know, we can do this. Uh, so I think it's a bit of a way uh, for me to show you uh, how good this website is, uh, you know, how useful it could be for your rugby, uh, for your rugby viewing or for your rugby following. Uh, and I think it's just a good way for me to use, um, you know, the free service that I've been provided with, um, thankfully, um, for, the, for the next three months. So yeah, uh, maybe I'll just have a quick go through um, the About page for uh, the 15 Rugby. So About the 15. Uh, the 15 is a new home for premium rugby content. We are a, we are a subscription-based platform delivering the highest quality rugby content from award-winning journalists, opinionated pundits, leading coaches, data analysts, and importantly, the biggest stars in the game. Uh, our aim is to change how rugby is covered and create a more sustainable model for the best rugby online content. Uh, coming from the content director of The 15. Uh, we are not supported by advertising, meaning we don't have to rely on a sensationalist, clickbait-driven agenda. Our promise to you is to provide insightful, intelligent and thought-provoking journalism you want to read. Every month, we will deliver an array of exceptional content for less than the price of a cup of coffee. We will cover every corner of the rugby globe with long-read features, opinion pieces, in-depth analysis, and columns from rugby's leading minds. As we grow, we will also cater for those who enjoy engaging podcasts, live video Q&As, live events, and documentaries. Uh, the first month is completely free, so you can see what we have to offer. Uh, the more subscribers that join this initiative, the more we can invest back into meaningful journalism that matters, and the more stories we will deliver to you each month. We hope you can join us. So yeah, I'll just uh, basically put a link uh, to the About page there, uh, which gives you a start-free trial today. Uh, so basically anybody who enjoys 
uh, what I'm about to cover uh, in this podcast and, and wants to join the 15.rugby, I believe you can start a free trial uh, from that web link. Uh, like I've just said a couple of times before, uh, I've currently got a, a three-month trial with them uh, or three months for free. So yeah, um, what's the first article that I'm going to talk about uh, coming from the 15? Uh, it's uh, the Pacific Pathway, or the story, or the title is Pacific Pathway, uh, and it's from Gregor Paul. Uh, so Gregor Paul is, uh, or has been, uh, a journalist with the New Zealand Herald. Uh, certainly, uh, I've read plenty of his articles over the last sort of uh, five to ten years uh, in New Zealand, or you know, from New Zealand websites. Uh, so yeah, generally he's involved um, with uh, news uh, with the New Zealand Herald, which is you know a pretty big. Um, you know, newspaper in New Zealand. I'm not sure if he's still there uh, or if he's just doing a little bit of like freelancing here uh, for the 15 rugby. Uh, but yeah, that's basically uh, the first article I'm going to do is called uh, Pacific Pathway uh, by Gregor Paul. So what I want to do is uh, get into the article. I'll pretty much just read through it uh, and then maybe stop uh, every once in a while uh, if something interesting has been mentioned. Uh, and basically, you know, put in my comments or, you know, what I feel uh, about what has been written. So, yeah, well, let's start it off. Let's get into it. So, Pacific Pathway, Gregor Paul. Now is not the time for regret or bitterness. The decision to grant Moana Pacifica and Fiji Drua conditional licenses to enter Super Rugby next year is a moment to celebrate and one which puts the focus firmly on the future. The Pacific Islands finally have a presence in professional club rugby and with that, a chance to retain some of the hundreds of players, all three seemingly produce at will. No longer will Fijians, Samoans or Tongans have to pack up their lives and ship out to Europe or Japan or to New Zealand and Australia in search of professional club contracts. The best talent in the islands can now stay in the islands and be paid well to play in Super Rugby. Not every islander will now be forced to play or be a rugby pilgrim, uh, and hundreds of thousands of people who identify as Pacifica will at last have a sense of ownership and belonging in a sport that owes an almost unpayable debt to three tiny islands in the South Pacific. But the past is not something that can be ignored at this juncture. It sits as the beacon by which the future must be guided, because for all the hope that Moana Pacifica's birth brings, it is not in itself or of itself a panacea to all the ills affecting the game in the islands. So yeah, I might just stop there. Uh, I think that's a you know a pretty good introduction from Gregor Paul. Um, you know some some key things there are you know having Fiji Drua. Uh, I'm pretty sure you say it Drua, Fiji Drua. Uh, you know based out of I guess Suva, certainly out of Fiji, uh, and then Moana Pacifica, uh, a Samoan Tongan um, you know entity. Uh, that's initially going to be based out of South Auckland. Uh, it's certainly good to have them in Super Rugby. Uh, it expands the competition out to 12 teams. Uh, it makes the idea of, uh, well, you know, that certainly gives you a longer season. It uh, gives you a couple of different possibilities. You know, you could have two conferences of six. Uh, you know, everybody plays everybody twice in a double round and then, you know, six crossover matches. So you could have a, a competition that's back out to, like, uh, 16 games. Uh, or you could just, you know, have a single round robin, um, you know, tournament, uh, which is going to get you at least 11 games uh, and then finals from there. 
So, you know, that certainly does make, uh, you know, like Super Rugby uh, Aotearoa, Super Rugby AU, uh, you know, it's the next step uh, in making it away from just, you know, essentially an Australian competition, a New Zealand competition, uh, and then some sort of like, you know, piecemeal uh, extension, which at present is Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. So, yeah, it's uh, certainly been, uh, you know, signposted for a long time uh, that these two teams were going to be joining uh, you know, and whether that was going to be, you know, 2021 this year or 2022 next year, which it will be, uh, or even later, uh, it was all, you know, pretty much dependent on uh, the world in general, right? Uh, and the, you know, coronavirus slash uh, COVID-19 uh, and, you know, basically what is uh, permissible. Uh, so, yeah, really good to see, um, you know, the license is given uh, and, you know, it's pretty much a sure thing, um, you know, that those two teams uh, basically... Uh, a Samoan Tongan team based out of South Auckland uh, and a Fijian team based out of Suva uh, are going to be part of Super Rugby uh, in 2022. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and it certainly does mean, you know, uh, you'd have to think, uh, I mean, what are you going to be looking at there? You're going to be looking at contracting something like 40, 45 players uh, to both teams. So you're certainly getting something around the, the you're getting something like, you know, 90 to 100, you know, professional uh, rugby players basically playing uh, in and around, you know, Fiji, Samoa and Tonga, which is, you know, going to be really good for the game. Um, I guess initially, um, Drua Fiji will, you know, pretty much, uh, oh, sorry, Fiji Drua, I believe is how you say it, uh, they will, you know, pretty much be based in Suva, and I guess, you know, however many home games you get uh, in a 2022 season, uh, they're going to get them all, uh, you know, whereas I'm assuming uh, with Moana Pacifica, um, most of the games, the majority, if not all of the games, will be played in South Auckland with perhaps just, you know, one or two games actually back in the islands uh, as, as things start. And that's essentially because it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit uh, messy, I guess, Moana Pacifica, the fact that it is being set up for Samoa and Tonga uh, and it's been set up for Samoa and Tonga eligible players or like, you know, test or international eligible players. Uh, and I believe they've set a... 80% or more, uh, you know, limit or, you know, maximum or minimum, I guess, 80% minimum uh, for their squads uh, to be available for Samoa and Tonga. Um, so, you know, but all of that does sound pretty nice, but the complicating factors is, is the fact that it's going to start out as primarily a geographically South Auckland team inside of New Zealand, uh, and I believe it's going to have a, a huge amount of New Zealand rugby funding. Um, so uh, there is some world rugby funding. Obviously, there'll be you know, sponsorship uh, and there'll be some buy-in by the Samoan and Tongan uh, rugby unions. But you'd have to say this has pretty much been set up initially kind of like a sixth New Zealand super rugby team. Uh, and I, I'm hoping, uh, and I think everybody is hoping, uh, that the transition from basically uh, a Pacific Island New Zealand rugby-controlled super rugby team can, you know, quite quickly, you know, perhaps in, say, a pretty pretty clear sort of three to five year, ten years at the most, um, you know, timeline, be pretty much in full, you know, like Samoan Tongan control. Uh, and that's certainly, like, where it needs to go. Um, so, you know, he's right. Uh, just in terms of that paragraph, I, I've, that's a pretty big, long ramble from me. I apologize. Uh, but I, I, I do, I feel pretty passionate about the subject. It's a pretty interesting one. Uh, you know, uh, you know, having two Super Rugby teams, it's certainly a good start. You know, being able to base something like 40 to 50, you know, professional rugby players, like, in the islands is awesome. Uh, you know, 50 in Fiji, 50 in, you know, Samoa Tonga, it is very good. 
Um, but yeah, you know, it is not uh, the be all and end all. Uh, you certainly need to couple it with, um, you know, high quality, um, like a high quality international schedule, uh, which, you know, he's going to allude to more. So let's get back to the article. So Moana Pacifica is the first step towards meaningful change. As former All Black and current New Zealand rugby board member Sir Michael Jones says, I still remember coaching Manu Samoa in 2003 and saying very clearly that if we don't include Manu Samoa in Super Rugby, we will be talking about this in 20 years. And we are, but thankfully we have got a solution now. It is not a full solution though. The creation of Moana Pacifica and invitation to Fiji Drua is uh, to join Super Rugby is a strong start toward the ultimate goal of elevating the three island nations into serious international contenders. Former All Black and Manu Samoa coach Sir Brian Williams, who has been heavily involved with Moana Pacifica, made a passionate speech the day the license was awarded, outlining his sadness that having made the quarterfinals of the 1991 and 1995 World Cups, Samoa now languish at 14 in the rugby world or the world rugby rankings. Being kept out of Super Rugby derailed Samoa, saw them go backwards at an alarming rate, which is the same for Fiji and Tonga neither of whom have been able to advance the way they had hoped in the last 25 years. And that won't happen until all three nations have access to regular, meaningful test programs. Uh, So yeah, I'll just stop there quickly. Uh, I totally agree. Um, So, you know, like I've just said, um, certainly room for, you know, Pacific Island players, Fiji, Samoa, Tongan players to be playing in Japan, to be playing in, you know, New Zealand, Australia, uh, to be playing in Europe. Uh, but, you know, having that base of, say, you know, 50 guys in Fiji, 50 guys in Samoa Tonga is really going to help their test programs. It's going to make them a lot more settled, uh, especially for those uh, July internationals or the July international window that, that we currently have. So, yeah, there really does need to be a pretty big focus on, like, Northern Hemisphere teams, like, coming to Australia and New Zealand uh, via the Pacific Islands. Uh, and, you know, the Pacific Islands really basically need uh, a full test program uh, in, in a July window uh, where they're playing at least, you know, two meaningful games uh, against Northern Hemisphere competition. Uh, and then plus perhaps, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Japan or Canada or America, uh, you know, that will really, you know, start to bed in or start to, you know, create uh, a really strong, uh, you know, international uh, team. Uh, based out of, you know, like Fiji, based out of Tonga, based out of Samoa. So yeah, uh, let's keep it going. So Moana Pacifica is essentially going to be a pathway for Samoan and Tongan qualified players. The recruitment drive will focus mostly on players currently in the islands and on players who might be contracted in New Zealand and Australia, but whose eligibility has not yet been captured. Those who sign will do so with the intent of committing to play test football for either Samoa or Tonga. But unless there are regular tests for those nations, there will continue to be a real danger that those with dual heritage, and there will be many, opt to play for the All Blacks or Wallabies instead. So that's a good place to stop uh, there or like, you know, interrupt again. Um, And I think the media has a real responsibility, actually, uh, to treat this with respect um, you know, there are a lot of dual qualified or dual heritage players inside of New Zealand and Australia. And you actually really have to respect their right to want to play uh, for the best team that they think 
or the or the team that they're just most passionate about. So we really need to make sure that we don't go down sort of like a um, an us versus them sort of mentality, uh, or uh, we really don't need to make things kind of like run down segregated lines. You know, whereas whereas it should be that a player like uh, say Falau Fakatava or like the next Falau Fakatava should have the ability, you know, to be born and raised, uh, say, in the, in the islands. He should have the ability to, you know, say, attract uh, essentially a rugby scholarship uh, to, say, New Zealand or Australia. He should then be, feel totally free uh, to play for, say, uh, the Waratahs or the Highlanders or the Blues. Uh, and there should be absolutely no pressure on a player like that to have to come back and play for, you know, Fiji Drua or Moana Pacifica. It would be nice if he wants to do that, but it should it should be totally fine uh, if he just wants to play for a Super Rugby side in general, or you know if he wants to up sticks and completely leave the Asia Pacific region and you know go and play in uh, the Northern Hemisphere, go and play in Europe, uh, you know go and play in Major League, etc. So I think we just have to be very careful uh, that we don't you know create basically these two Super Rugby sides. And basically say you have to play for these teams. If you don't play for these teams, we're basically going to blank you, and you're not going to get you know like test match status. I think that's pretty important um, for the media and like just for administrators uh, to be on board with that. Uh, we don't need sort of like a segregationist kind of like tactic going on there. Uh, it'll just be very divisive. Um, and also the other thing is um, they're looking at eighty percent of their team or their squad, uh, you know, essentially being you know uh, eligible for. Test rugby for Samoa and Tonga, which is good. You know that that's going to leave a twenty percent window to attract essentially marquee players, uh, to attract you know international players, just to attract Australia and New Zealand players uh, where there might be you know um, a, a gap in talent uh, in a certain position. And I think you know that's a pretty sensible level to have things at, especially or essentially initially. Uh, and you know if that cap can be essentially lowered over time, if that cap can essentially even be removed over time, I'd actually be really comfortable with that. <clears throat> so, you know, I would, you know, in my mind, I would love to, to see, you know, like a, a Moana Pacifica team playing the majority of their home games in the islands, you know, based out of Apia, based out of Nuku Alofa and Samoa and Tonga, uh, and playing with, you know, perhaps uh, a third of a team uh, you know, that is from New Zealand, from Australia, from South Africa, from America, if you know what I mean. Uh, and, you know, like really not going down basically tribal lines. Just, you know, getting the best player uh, in the right position and just having the best team on the field. That's really what I'd love to see. I, I want to see high performance uh, and, you know, I don't really care where you get it from. Uh, obviously, you know, I want it to also help, you know, be a test vehicle and help uh, the Pacific Island countries too. But it really shouldn't be some sort of like nationalistic project. That's what I'm uh, really quite concerned about at the moment, and I hope that there's a, a smooth transition there. That will be the key, you know, to making this a success, in my opinion. But yeah, um, really, just basically have to respect the fact that you know New Zealand, especially, is actually a Pacific Island country. Uh, many people in the world just don't really see it like that. But, you know, we do have a pretty strong, uh, you know, if you have a look at population, uh, you know, demography, it's something like 10 to 15% of the country, uh, you know, is Pacific Island heritage. Uh, you know, if you basically want to say, you know, born in the Pacific, parents from the Pacific, grandparents from the Pacific, etc. Um, 
So, you know, uh, when, when you're dealing with a number like that, I mean, let's, let's put a figure like, say, 750,000 out of, say, 5 million, something like that. Um, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of rugby players there who really are essentially New Zealanders. They're born and raised in New Zealand. Their parents are born and raised in New Zealand. Uh, you know, they've gone, you know, they've attached themselves early uh, at school level or, or even earlier, you know, to, to clubs inside of, you know, New Zealand uh, club rugby. They've attached themselves and played, you know, high-level high school rugby, uh, you know, and then they've been pushed into academies. They've been pushed into, you know, like development or, you know, age-grade teams from there, uh, you know, before, you know, getting into, say, the NPC, the Mighty Ten Cup and or Super Rugby. So, you know, so, um, not some, but I guess Pacifica peoples have to, or Pacifica administrators have to be very careful about playing kind of like the race card and saying, you know, it's all one-way traffic and like New Zealand just steals talent from Pacific. Like there's a huge amount of, you know, Pacific test players uh, that have a huge amount of their upbringing slash development, their rugby development uh, to, be thanked, to be thankful for, you know, coming from New Zealand. Uh, and or Australia and that's not a bad thing but you really just have to say that it does flow both ways you know both sides do win uh, you know from the, the current arrangement uh, and it's really about respecting what the players or what the players want you know for their like basically international future if they're good enough to have one so yeah uh, let's push, push in or go back to the article there uh, and have a look at a couple of examples so um, that's the reality at the moment, i.e. that there are many dual heritage players. As evidenced last year when both Hoskins Satutu and George Bauer were approached by Fiji but turned down the offer to take up spots with the All Blacks. So again, you know, Fijian administrators, they have to respect that. You know, like Hoskins Satutu, George Bauer, they have a lot of attachment uh, to New Zealand. You know, they've had a lot of development, you know, through Auckland and the Blues through Canterbury and the Crusaders. You can't just come in when they're like high-performing super rugby players and say, hey, you're really Fijian, come and play for the Fijian national team. Or you can at least offer them that, you know, offer. But you have to respect it when like perhaps they turn it down and say, you know what, I'm actually good enough to make the All Blacks or I'm actually pretty happy playing my rugby, uh, you know, uh, in Crusaders land and I like being paid by the New Zealand Rugby Football Union and I like the possible opportunity over the next three, four years of representing the All Blacks. You've got to respect it both ways. Uh, back to the article. It was the same with Sever Reese in 2019. And in fact, the only dual qualified player to turn down the All Blacks was Alipati Luia, who was going to be selected by Steve Hansen in 2013, but committed instead to Samoa, where his brother, Officer Trevinas, was the captain. So that's pretty interesting. I never actually thought, to be fair, that Alapati Luia uh, was on the All Blacks radar. Uh, I guess 2013 is a long time ago now. Uh, I guess there's a couple of bells ringing in the back of my head saying that he was in some pretty hot form uh, around then. Uh, and I guess, you know, um, I, I believe um, Gregor Paul here, uh, when he says, you know, Hanson would have picked him uh, if he had made himself available. Um, but yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, but the Sever Reese part there, uh, now... That's a pretty good example of, I actually think Sever Reese has just as much to give to New Zealand, if not more, uh, than he has to give to, say, Fiji. Now, again, uh, born and raised in Fiji, but finished his schooling uh, at Hamilton Boys High, I believe, 
which is certainly one of like the top four, certainly one of the top ten, but maybe probably one of the top four, you know, rugby powerhouse schools in New Zealand. So he obviously got a scholarship to come there and play rugby. Um, but, you know, Hamilton gets something out of having, you know, Sivir Rees uh, at Hamilton Boys High School for sure. But Sivir Rees gets a lot out of being uh, in the Hamilton Boys setup, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old as well. And then obviously that gives him opportunities uh, you know, to have a look at New Zealand secondary school, New Zealand under-20s, to play in the Mitre 10 Cup, you know, things that he did. Um, and then, of course, you know, he had some off-field incidents, uh, you know, where Sibir Reese was actually going to call it quits on New Zealand rugby quite quickly or quite early in his career. And I believe he had a deal with Connacht uh, in Ireland, good to go. So, I mean, he wasn't exactly looking to be loyal and stay in New Zealand, and New Zealand was, you know, comfortable having had him come through the schoolboy system, but not really push on, and you know, not really be like on the radar of the All Blacks. Uh, so you know, he was pretty, he was pretty happy to be in New Zealand for you know three or four years at that stage, but then you know, not stay in New Zealand rugby, uh, have a season with Waikato uh, in the Mitre Ten Cup, and then push on to Connacht uh, in the Pro Fourteen or like you know an Irish Pro Fourteen side. What happened, though, was, uh, you know, he had serious issues off the field, uh, you know, issues that involved, you know, I believe criminal charges, uh, or he was certainly up for criminal charges, uh, and that meant that his Connacht deal got terminated. Uh, now, he obviously didn't have a Super Rugby contract either, but, you know, he played the house down uh, for Waikato uh, in the NPC or the Mighty Ten Cup, uh, and then he basically got a short-term contract. He got picked up. Um, by the Crusaders, uh, you know, basically after his life had kind of gone off the rails, they gave him a lifeline, uh, and then he just went to he went from strength to strength there in twenty nineteen and became an All Black and went to the World Cup with the All Blacks, but it's not like it was a clear New Zealand plan to like you know drag in Severis from Fiji etc. It was actually just you know a lot of interesting little circumstances, uh, and then just quality performances from Reese himself on the field you know, that led to an All Blacks call-up. So, you know, it, there's a, there's, it's a very complicated thing when you start getting into kind of player by player, you know, how is, you know, what is the situation with their life, if you know what I mean. And that is something that people from the outside, you know, perhaps don't really see. You know, perhaps people in the UK and Ireland, uh, you know, in Europe, they essentially think that New Zealand is basically an extension of Europe and that, you know, when a Fijian player turns up in New Zealand, He's just coming, you know, for, uh, you know, professional wages. It's like, no, he's often born and raised and or come very young and or at least come for high school. Uh, and there's actually a lot of attachment. And, you know, he has a pretty big family support network in certain areas of the country, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you just have to be very careful, um, I think, from the outside uh, or even from the islands in terms of saying that it's all about New Zealand poaching talent. It's a lot more of a complex situation than that. Uh, and I think it's pretty similar in Australia, uh, especially when you're talking about rugby and rugby league combined. They have the same kind of thing going on. So yeah, pushing back to the article. It's hard for players to say no to the All Blacks, where they can earn $7,500 a week and be certain of playing the best teams in the world, compared with the irregular and sporadic tests offered to island nations and match fees that are tiny. That is an issue, but you know, again, you can't really address that with Moana Pacifica, you can't really address that with Fiji Jura, uh, and you really just can't even address that, 
you know, there, there's always going to be powerhouses in the game. Not everybody can be the best team in the world, right, with a massive backlog of history uh, to back that up. Uh, so pushing on. The whole picture needs to change, not just the club scene. New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Mark Robinson says, What this does offer is the assembly of two teams in regular, high-level competition where they get all the high-level preparation, exposure to high-performance conditions. I think that should be preparation and exposure to high-performance conditions so that when they transition into international rugby, they are hopefully better prepared. I'm in full agreement with that. You know, that's good. But it will take more than just Super Rugby to build our broader vision for what the international game can be like for those emerging nations. We haven't really ever stopped work at looking at competition models and calendars that provide pathways for, the, for those emerging teams, and that won't stop. I talked to Alan Gilpin, Head of World Rugby, about this, about this this morning. They have put some revenue towards making this happen and are committed to being a success. Oh, and they are committed to this being a success, and they know they have to work harder at providing those opportunities. He's new, and he's bringing a new approach to the opportunities he thinks exists for rugby, and he's engaged with emerging nations around the world. Bill Beaumont stood on a mandate of wanting to do more in this space. Everything at the moment, maybe it's COVID and a change in world rugby, there is new impetus in all of this. So yeah, what the islands have learned the hard way is that they can't take anything for granted. Williams says that in 1995, he wrongly assumed Samoa, having been part of the four-running Super 10 competition, would be invited into Super 12, especially after reaching the last eight of the World Cup that year. The hurt of rejection still lives with him, and hence he knows that good intentions don't lead to definitive action. Part of the issue is that there has, been long, that there has long been blurred lines in where responsibility sits in regard to finding regular tests for emerging nations. When Argentina made the semi-finals of the 2007 World Cup and quarter-final in 2011 without a place in any regular competition, World Rugby effectively suggested the Pumas were Sanzar's problem to fix. In respect of the island nations, the governing body can't absolve itself of responsibility in finding fixtures and income for Fiji, Samoa and Tonga. Sanzar, now with Argentina as a member union, can't incur all the risk and expense of building a competition to accommodate the island nations. Now, I'd agree, I'd sort of like half agree with that. Uh, I believe that Santa doesn't need to underwrite um, Fiji Jura. Uh, I think, you know, it's Fiji Jura has enough, or like Fiji, let's just say, has enough population, i.e. about a million people, uh, you know, to you know, fund and run a team. Uh, and it's going to be from the get-go, you know, geographically located uh, in Suva or certainly the majority of their home matches should be played there, uh, as far as I'm aware. So that's all good, and I don't think Sansa needs to get involved in that. But I actually do think that Sansa should be underwriting Moana Pacifica uh, with the, you know, with the express writ that they're going to, like, basically downsell, you know. So maybe they take full ownership or, like, co-ownership with New Zealand Rugby, uh, although, you know, that's also kind of a little bit meaningless as New Zealand Rugby is inside of Sansa. But, you know, perhaps it's, uh, you know, full ownership by Sansa, a co-ownership model, uh, obviously a co-ownership like Sansa plus perhaps New Zealand rugby uh, independently, uh, as well as, of course, Samoa and Tonga rugby football unions. But it has to be with the express intent that eventually Moana Pacifica 
you know, with a defined timeline, i.e. five to ten years, becomes like a fully Samoan, fully Tongan, you know, entity. It's not there right now, but I think Sansa should actually underwrite um, basically that transition. Uh, I don't really think it should be left to New Zealand rugby. Then things become just a little bit too political, and you have a, you know, you have the potential to have this massive sort of back and forwards about like where, you know, where do players really come from? Where should players, you know, really be representing, or who should they really rep- be representing, etc. And you're not just going to have that at the test level. You're potentially even going to have that at like the Super Rugby level, you know. So, I, I actually do think Sansa has a pretty significant role to play, um, certainly in Moana Pacifica. Perhaps you know, Drua Fiji or Fiji and Drua can just basically you know stay out of it and you know basically exist as a, a completely you know Fiji rugby union administered entity, uh, and it should be a commercial success based out of Suva. So yeah, kicking on. Uh, none of them are ready to cope in the rugby championship. That's basically talking about the islands, i.e. Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. That will take time. Being part of Super Rugby will build professional habits and improve the skills and conditioning of the playing base. But all three nations are going to also need exposure to test football before they are thrown into something as intense and as, and as demanding as the rugby championship. As Jones says, Sir Michael Jones, how World Rugby responds and how they get on board, it is really in their court. They have got to walk the talk, whatever, the, whatever that looks like, and make sure this thing succeeds, because we can't have it not succeed. <clears throat> what everyone would like to see is Fiji, Samoa and Tonga be built into the July test window once COVID restrictions end and travel becomes easier. Why, for instance, couldn't the Northern Hemisphere sides be scheduled to play one test in the islands en route to New Zealand or Australia? Yeah, that's pretty much what I just said before uh, in one of my little diatribes. I mean, that definitely needs to be happening. So, you know, if you're Ireland, for example, and you've got a two-test series in New Zealand, you need to be playing Fiji, you know, as a, essentially as a warm-up test and, you know, and to give Fiji, you know, good, uh, you know, high-level test rugby. Uh, you know, if you're Wales and you're coming for two tests uh, in Australia, you know, you should be playing Samoa and or Tonga, you know, in a test on your way to Australia or on your way back out, you know, play two tests in Australia and then, you know, finish off, uh, you know, with a game in Tonga and or Samoa. That is an absolute no-brainer, and World Rugby really needs to make sure that that happens. Uh, and I think, you know, there's basically no opposition to that, or there'd be very little opposition to that uh, inside of New Zealand Rugby uh, and or uh, Rugby AU or Australian Rugby, uh, because, um, you know, I think both New Zealand and Australia are actually a little bit sick and tired of having, like, say, three test series um, with fairly, you know, you'd have to say, like, fairly underperforming Northern Hemisphere teams in general. Like, they're usually at the end of a pretty long season, pretty tired. Maybe there's a lot of injuries. Maybe just players are not playing and or resting uh, and or coaches are using it for, you know, combination reasons. They've really been focused, you know, on the Six Nations that's already played out. They're really more focused about, you know, the November internationals, which will be at home. Those are sort of like where their focus really is. Uh, And these like sort of Southern Hemisphere tours, they almost, you know, they almost treat them as a loss straight off the bat and as a little bit of a development junket. Uh, And they don't really mind getting, you know, perhaps a 20, 30, 40, 50 point hiding, you know, uh, in New Zealand, etc., uh, so I don't think New Zealand will actually have too much pushback 
uh, if it's kind of like, hey, Ireland, you know, come and play a game in Fiji before you stop for two tests in New Zealand. You're going to be better prepared by the time you get to New Zealand, for one thing. Uh, you know, but we just don't really need to see a fairly underpowered, underperforming Ireland, you know, play three straight weeks uh, and kind of get creamed, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, by week two, week three. You know, that I have to say, unfortunately, I've, I've watched a lot of, you know, June, July test series in New Zealand, uh, and that kind of often is what happens, you know. And that's not just Ireland, obviously. I've, I've picked them as an example a couple of times. But, you know, the same can be said, you know, for France, for sure. You know, even England, certainly Wales, Scotland, etc. So, yeah. Um, back to the article. And could World Rugby help fund a second-tier rugby championship featuring Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Japan, and the USA? The short answer is yes, uh, and that should be done with Sansa. So that should be a co-sponsored tournament by World Rugby and Sansa for sure. There's just no, there's just no way of arguing that point. So you know, should World Rugby fund a second-tier rugby championship? Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Japan, and Samoa. Uh, sorry, and USA. Yes, with a view to working towards a relegation promotion scenario, or even an expanded competition that works in two pools. Just yes, yes, and yes uh, to all of that. Whatever the case, the point is indisputable that the islands need Test Rugby built into their landscape just as much as they needed a presence in Super Rugby. And just as important is that they don't have to wait another 25 years for change to come. World Rugby has a long history of moving at a glacial pace, but that's not an option in this scenario. Moana Pacifica and Fiji Drua will fail without the subsequent breakthrough on the international front. What provides hope that change will come quickly is that Moana Pacifica may prove to be a roaring commercial success, and if the dollars come rolling in, the appetite to bring the island nations into the international fold will increase. I think it has always been seen as a movement that is going to be bigger than a rugby team, says Jones. It has got the ability to bring communities with it and be a celebration of culture and all things Pacifica. And there is a great opportunity to wrap that all up in a professional rugby team. So yeah, um, just getting back to that point, I mean, just for the islands, I think they also need to really engage with you know, Rugby Australia uh, and the New Zealand Rugby uh, just in terms of revenue sharing. Like I think it probably is actually quite important uh, to at least hold perhaps one of your three, um, you know, like July internationals against, you know, good Northern Hemisphere teams to perhaps hold those matches in, say, Auckland slash South Auckland, in, say, Sydney, you know, West Sydney, wherever it is that you have, like, you know, fairly high, fairly big, you know, Pacific Island, you know, immigrant populations. Um, and then that way you can basically you know, get a much higher revenue, like uh, you're going to get, hopefully, uh, big to full crowds in much bigger stadia than you have back in the islands, uh, and then you can take a bigger piece of that pie, or you can at least take a, a half share of a bigger piece, if you know what I mean, or a bigger pie. So I think that's pretty important uh, in the considerations for, you know, the international window as well. So yeah, finishing off with the very last part of this, so going back to, you know, um, the idea, Moana Pacifica, uh, Drua Fiji, or Fiji Drua, you know, they, they're all about bringing communities, you know, a celebration of culture, uh, and all things Pacifica. It's a great opportunity, you know, to extend that into the professional rugby teams. So that is something we have never seen before in terms of a unique offering in professional rugby. 
uh, I think it has the ability to gain a lot of interest from a broader fan base, not just in the islands in New Zealand. Uh, sorry, this is uh, Michael Jones, I believe, talking to finish off. I think it has the ability to gain a lot of interest from a broader fan base, not just in the islands, but in New Zealand and Fiji, but also in Hawaii and the west coast of the USA as well. And I think it will be every rugby fan's second favourite team. Uh, I guess he's like specifically mentioning Moana Pacifica there. So yeah, I mean, that's the article. Um, that was kind of my first kind of go there at, uh, well, I guess I've actually uh, narrated through a couple of private equity articles uh, from Stuff Rugby. Uh, but, you know, that was my first go at sort of like, you know, picking uh, a good feature article with, uh, you know, a big topic, a big topic in rugby. Uh, certainly a passionate one for myself. Uh, going through, you know, narrating it, and then, you know, providing extra comment. So, yeah, pretty much just going to leave it at that. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed that. Uh, got up to 40 minutes now, so, yeah, a little bit longer than I thought. But, yeah, I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, thanks to Gregor Paul and the rugby, uh, the 15.rugby, I believe it is, uh, the official website. I'll put some links, like I said, uh, in the show notes. So, uh, obviously, if you want to get a one-month free trial, uh, you can do that. Uh, and obviously, if you want to sign up for it, uh, you can do that too, uh, because I believe these articles are behind a paywall, so you might not actually be able to find that article or read it in full, uh, you know, <clears throat> by yourself unless you're signed up. But yeah, hopefully you like that. Um, it's something a little bit different than, you know, obviously uh, the nitty-gritty in-and-out, you know, week-to-week uh, preview-review kind of shows that I've been doing quite a lot of uh, at present just, you know, because Super Rugby is in, you know, full swing, we've got Major League Rugby, we've got Japanese Top League, we've had, you know, um, uh, the Six Nations, etc. So, you know, hopefully uh, I can put some kind of article like that, like a little bit of food for thought, um, and basically, you know, narrate to you uh, a good in-depth article like that, and then also, you know, add my feelings on top of it. Certainly something that I'd like to do uh, in the future. I hope I'm not breaking any copyright rules uh, by doing what I've just done now. Uh, it's all uh, in good faith. Uh, and yeah, please let me know if you liked it. So yeah, thanks a lot for listening, if you did. Uh, things to do. Uh, I have a Facebook page, The Rugby Gods Podcast. So please give me a like or a follow there. That would be awesome. Please also send me a comment and or a personal message there, uh, and I'll get back to you. I love talking rugby uh, with anybody uh, and that's a good place to reach me. Um, yeah, pretty much that's it. Uh, I hope things go well in your life. Uh, I hope you're doing good things, and I hope good things are happening for you. Uh, today is Thursday. While I do this, um, you know, like in-depth article um, deep dive, uh, I don't know what to call it, basically article review. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow will be Friday, uh, and I've got my beloved Hurricanes uh, taking on uh, the Chiefs, I believe. Uh, so yeah, Chiefs at home. Uh, against the Hurricanes for tomorrow. So hopefully I'll be back uh, fairly shortly uh, to do a second podcast or uh, a third one, or is it even a fourth one? I think it would be my fourth podcast for the week, uh, unbelievably. This is my third. Uh, so yeah, I'll be back to do uh, a preview show uh, maybe Thursday night, uh, Thursday my time now, uh, or possibly Friday, uh, because I believe uh, the Crusaders are at home to the Blues, but that's going to be on Anzac Day on the Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a Sunday match. So those teams might not be announced uh, until like Friday morning, my time. So yeah, uh, I'll have to think about whether I do a preview like kind of like tonight uh, and or do it tomorrow uh, when I know the lineups for that uh, you know, blockbuster, the Crusaders v. Blues. I'll probably hold off uh, and try and do uh, a preview show 
on uh, Friday, Friday morning. But yeah, we'll see how things go. So yeah, that's it from me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Please get in touch with me uh, and tell me um, you know, if you enjoyed that. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting, right, uh, to have basically uh, a very good rugby writer, the likes of Gregor Paul, uh, you know, write out or you know, have an article for us. I basically narrate through it, add some value with my own opinions, and, and you, get to hear for, you get to hear about it, right? So yeah, uh, let me know. So yeah, I'm going to push out there. Thanks a lot. Ka kite anua. I'll see you soon. Goodbye.